One of the mistakes I see with smaller publishers is they stop communicating with the distributor, and I think that that's a big mistake. You want to get to know the personnel at your distribution company, develop a relationship with them. So as opportunities and problems come up, you know who to contact, you know who to work with, you know how long it's going to take to solve the problem or to take care of the opportunity. So develop a strong relationship with your distributor and continue to promote the book out to your reader base. That's Tom Doherty of Cardinal Publishers Group talking about book distribution. He's got a lot more to say on the subject. We'll be hearing the full interview with Tom in just a few minutes. Thanks for streaming in. Welcome again to Inside Independent Publishing from IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association. I'm an independent publisher, and I'm your host, Peter Goodman. IBPA's mission is to lead and serve the independent publishing community through advocacy, through education, and through tools for success. And this podcast is a very new part of that mission. For more about IBPA and how it can help you be a better publisher and sell more books, whatever kind of publisher you are, go to ibpa-online.org. Now let's get started. Every podcast, we're going to call into the IBPA office in Manhattan Beach, where Caitlin Walker is going to answer your questions about publishing. So let's do that now. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Peter. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm here in the IVP office, and we have some questions for the podcast. Great. Let's hear them. All right. Our first question comes from Dee Sylvester from Sonin Mo Associates Incorporated. And Dee asks a question about ebook review copies and selling in bulk. We have just published an ebook on Amazon, and I cannot find any way to give away free copies for review. Are there any ebook distribution options that allow publishers or authors to order free ebook copies for reviewers? Also, we have marketing partners that are interested in buying our ebook in bulk to distribute to their customers as gifts. Is there anyone who has the ability to sell ebooks in bulk by selling codes or something like Vital Source does for textbooks? So actually, we have an answer here from Peter. Okay, well, you know, that's a great question. Uh, at my company, Stonebridge Press, we use Edelweiss to put up DRCs or digital review copies. And any reviewer with Edelweiss accounts, and that's librarians, booksellers, bloggers, etc., they can all browse and download download as EPUB or as Mobi files. We get our Edelweiss account through our distributor. Uh, I'm not sure what's involved in your setting one up, but a lot of people have them, so you should explore. Look for Edelweiss online and, and go from there. Also, uh, NetGalley is a really good way of getting review copies in the hands of reviewers and librarians. Exactly. That's that's the other one um, I would mention. Edelweiss, I've heard really great things about, and I actually run the NetGalley program out of our IBPA office. So if you're looking to really expand your readership and get your book out, one of the benefits of NetGalley is that they have a huge community, which includes professional reviewers, librarians, bloggers, but they also have a very big community of consumer reviewers. So this sort of provides the author or the publisher a wide range of feedback coming from very different perspectives. Another aspect is that people tend to put advanced reader copies up. So this can be a really great tool for when finishing the edits on your book, you know, getting really close to the end and having that feedback can really help you polish it. Another really great thing about using this kind of program is it's a really great way to connect with your readers and reviewers. You can get download information and email information as well. So I would also recommend anyone interested in not only reviews, but also, you know, expanding your audience and reaching out to readers. They do provide DRM protection to your book files. So anyone who is concerned about, you know, the possibility of it being 
pirated or like copied um, after it's fully published, they have that there already for you. And you said that you run the Neck Alley program at IBPA, so that is a IBPA benefit? Absolutely. We have a very significant discount. We're actually revamping this program right now, which is great. We're going to have multiple new marketing options as add-ons. But IVPA provides a three-month option as well as a six-month option, and NetGalley doesn't really have that option for normal users. Working with IVPA is a great way to get that discount and also a little bit of advice and help give you that push to really get your work out. Well, great. I'm glad we were able to work an IVPA plug into the, uh, the, uh, the answer. And you have another question, I understand. Yes, we have one from Elizabeth Carey of Donemere Books. She is asking about royalties. So she asks, since our launch, we have developed books in-house, paying flat fees to writers on a work-for-hire basis. We are now happily transitioning to acquiring rights to submitted manuscripts, but have no idea what the industry standards are for small press offers, like advance and royalties. We are thinking of small advances and perhaps net royalties and would love any input on that. Yeah, I think that's a really great question, and we have a couple of answers for Elizabeth here. Carlene Cipolla of Whole Person Associates answers, I don't think you need to offer advances as a small press. If you wish to, I would keep it quite modest. Paying royalties on on net makes the most sense. So we have another response from Ian Lamont. He is actually one of our board members and part of I30 Media Corp. So Ian writes, It varies a lot from publisher to publisher, depending on anticipated revenue, book type, and how the rights are structured. We offer a very generous royalty rate on net revenue for authors of the In 30 Minutes series, or a flat fee option, but it's work for hire for short books in the utility nonfiction category, and the copyright is held by the company. That is, it's not an exclusive license from the author to publish the book. Before I had a lawyer drop the agreement, I checked out how other publishers, big and small, handled rights and royalties, so I had some ideas about industry practices and how I could structure our agreement to benefit authors with a good royalty rate while letting my company grow the brand and the series. It's worked out well. Well, great. Uh, Those are pretty detailed answers, and for good reason, because those are fairly complicated subjects. I think the answer is check around, do your research, and uh, be pretty thorough about how you set things up, and by all means, understand the numbers behind your publishing. Well, good. Thanks a lot, Caitlin. We'll uh, talk to you next time, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Peter. Now, if you have a question for me or anyone at IBPA, Just contact us on the IBPA website, ibpa-online.org, or message us on Twitter using the handle at IBPA. Be sure to put the word podcast in the message so your question gets to the right place. Today we're uh, talking with Tom Doherty about distribution. Uh, Tom Doherty's been president of Cardinal Publishers Group since 2000 and publisher of Blue River Press since 2004. Uh, They're based in Indianapolis. Uh, Prior to Cardinal Publishers Group, Tom worked in publishing for nearly 20 years, including eight in book distribution with Time Warner and the Hearst Corporation. During his time at Cardinal Publishers Group, which is a full-service distributor, and we'll get into that in a second, uh, Tom has launched more than 100 new imprints. And as publisher of Blue River Press, he published notable New York Times bestselling authors James Alexander Tom and Jack D. Hunter, as well as category nonfiction and regional bestsellers. So Tom Doherty is definitely someone who knows his way around the publishing world, both as 
a distributor and a publisher. But uh, today we're talking about distribution. It's a huge subject. I don't know how much of it we're going to be able to finish, but before we begin, let's try and get our terms straight because Tom describes Cardinal Publishers Group as a full-service distributor. We also hear the terms master distributor. We hear the terms wholesaler. And then generically, we just hear people talk about, I have a distributor. Jumping right in, Tom, you say you're a full-service distributor. What does that mean exactly, and what are these other terms that people use? What do they mean? Well, a full-service distributor is someone who performs these six basic tasks, okay? And that, that includes sales, warehousing, fulfillment, customer service, billing and collection, and metadata service. Now, a full-service distributor will also offer other services as well, but those six services are the classic definition of full-service distribution. Other services that a full-service distributor would do is they may have ebook conversions for you and ebook distribution, trade marketing programs. Some even offer assistance with editing and packaging, design and printing. So it depends on the distributor, but those basic ones, sales, warehousing, fulfillment, customer service, billing and collection and metadata distribution basically define full-service distribution. The other ones that you discussed, master distributor and full-service distributor would be the same. Some companies offer distribution services, but what they're really offering is this backroom function of warehousing and the pick and pack, you know, the fulfillment part of the equation. And they make your product available through a wide variety of outlets, but making it available and going out and selling it are different sort of functions. A full-service would include the sales element, whereas just having distribution you may be saying that you, your product's just available, but it's not being pushed out to the marketplace by a sales force. Wholesaler is another animal altogether. So whereas the distributor generally gets most of its money on the back end, making net, um, a percentage of your net sale, okay? a wholesaler instead buys the product from you and then resells it. And likely they will buy only what they need for 60 or 90 days inventory, whereas a distributor will generally carry all of your inventory, therefore eliminating the need that you would have for warehousing or the billing and collection functions and that sort of thing. Master distributor and full service distributor are basically the same thing, right? Yeah. The way people use the terms. Correct. A wholesaler, you would say, is kind of a passive order taker for the most part. They have a, some marketing programs that you might be able to buy into, but they're sitting around kind of waiting for the orders to come in and ship them out as they do. The term distributor is, when people say, I have a distributor, the best thing to do is to say, what kind of distributor? Because that could be any of the above three. The term is, is just kind of a general term. Yeah, or it could be a limited service distributor. Like, And a good example of that that uh, the listeners might be familiar with would be, say, Lightning Source, where when you go through Lightning Source, they can make your product available in a wide variety of distribution channels, but they're not actually going out and selling your product to retailers and other wholesalers. They're simply making it available. You have distribution, but you don't really have full-service distribution. You still need a sales force. That's kind of the lay of the land. And what Cardinal does is you have a sales force, you have all these back-end services, and presumably when um, publishers send a book to you, you have to decide whether you're going to take it on or not. And I guess one of the things that a publisher looking for a distributor like yourself should know is that if they sign up with you for distribution, you're kind of taking the whole breadbasket, right? 
You're getting retail, you're getting online, you're getting wholesale, you're getting even maybe uh, school accounts. So you, you kind of have a lock on everything. Is that right? Generally, a full service distributor will require exclusivity. So yes, they will take on all of the aspects of distribution. However, you should check with your particular distributor because there may be markets that they're not servicing or there may be markets that they can't reach. So if you're out doing seminars, you know, you're going to want to bring your books with you and sell them. So the publishers we like to see uh, let us handle the book trade business, but are still active in selling their product into areas where we aren't because uh, make a sale and be more profitable. It's a better client. And those uh, sales territories, they're usually handled by the contract and the time that the publisher's making a, an arrangement with a distributor like you, they have a chance to go over all those different kinds of accounts and vendors and channels and whatnot. And if there's anything that they question about, they, they would talk to you at that time. That's correct. For example, when I was at Time Warner, we had Random House as an account. But Random House sold all the bookstores themselves and had their own distribution facility for that. At Time Warner, we were distributing into the mass merchant accounts. So we handled everything from Toys R Us to uh, Target and Walmart, supermarkets and drugstores. And that was determined, you know, at the time you signed the contract. Even if you're a small publisher, if you have some type of competency in a market outside of the book trade, you want to be clear with your distributor ahead of time that you will be handling those customers so that you're not both selling to the same customer. That just causes confusion for the customer and doesn't really help out at all. So definitely at the time of signing the contract, most full-service distributors will have a clause in their contract that allows you to opt out certain markets like your own website, seminars, maybe other whole segments when you sign the contract. And you want to be clear about that so that everyone's on the same page. One of the reasons for the uh, exclusivity, as, as I understand it, is because the book trade here is returnable. So if you have a lot of different accounts and they're all returning books, you want to make sure they're all coming to the same place and not one person using returns to basically pay off the bill to another seller. It can get very confusing. There's that. And I'd say that was certainly one of the two main reasons. And the other main reason is having multiple distributors or, you know, working alongside your distributor is not something the customer wants. You know, one of the advantages of a distributor is we're bringing a lot of different product to the same customer. So we're streamlining the purchasing process for the customer. And if things are not exclusive, it becomes difficult for certain customers to identify where they should be buying the product where they should be sending the money, where they should send the returns, and that sort of thing. Like you said, it's a returnable marketplace, and we don't want to co-mingle inventories within it, and also we want to make it simple for the customer. Right, and, and so that being simple for the customer is kind of key as to why uh, distributors like you exist. What do you think happens most of the time when an author with their uh, newly printed book walks into a bookstore and says, I've got this book, it's a terrific book, I should know because I wrote it, and I want you to sell it. Uh, what's the typical scenario? Well, a typical scenario is they said, okay, we can pick it up, but we'd like to buy it through a wholesaler. So then you go to a wholesaler and the wholesaler says, okay, well, if you retailers want to buy this and they want to buy it from me, you'll need to have a distributor. And so a lot of times by the time people come to me, they've already talked to the retailer and talk to the wholesaler, and the wholesaler might give them a list. Maybe my company's on it. Maybe it's not, depending on the wholesaler. Say, you know, work with these guys, and then we'll do it. And the reason why they do it is they have to consolidate their source of supply. So if they set up with every new vendor, it becomes expensive for them 
to manage all of that. It's easier, say, for Ingram to order from the 60 active publishers we have where they have to talk to one sales rep, ship out of one warehouse, have one billing. That's usually what. That's usually how it works. Author publishers, they make the rounds, and uh, they soon discover that they can't deal with bookstores directly with any of the accounts. They have to find a distributor, so they end up on your doorstep. I know there's been a lot of consolidation and change in the distribution market over the last 10 years or so. What are the prospects for an author who maybe has just one book approaching someone like you or some other distributor? Are they likely to get a deal? And if so, what criteria would you use to approve it? I still think the opportunities to gain distribution are very good. There's a lot of different options out there. There are certain distributors where you have just one book and they say, I'm sorry, you know, we need to be assured that we're going to have 250000 in revenue with you to open you up. And so they won't take you on. But there are a lot of alternatives out there. And you can go to ibp-online.org and there's a list there of different distributors. We take on one book publishers and so do quite a few others. I would encourage you to look at at least two, probably better look at three different options. And in order to gain the trust of the distributor, because a distributor, most of them, the good ones anyway, make the vast majority of their money from the client based on net sales. So we have to feel like a certain amount of net sales is going to make it worth our effort to put it in our catalog, train our sales force, go out and sell it, you know, produce the solicitation material required to do that. So it's expensive to launch a new imprint into the marketplace. And we have to feel that there's going to be enough volume to justify opening up an account with a publisher. The main ways you could do that is convince the publisher of the content and the package is going to be good. Now, you don't need a finished product, but you have to be able to illustrate that product and describe it very well, and a sample is helpful. You also have to sell the distributor on the author and their credentials as they relate to the book, and finally, a strong marketing plan that shows the distributor that you're going to be going out to the reader and pulling them into the marketplace as they're pushing your product out. I'm sure people are already uh, trying to Google as they listen. Uh, you can find uh, more about Cardinal Publishers Group at cardinalpub.com. Talking about that, having a marketing plan, social media has become a bigger and bigger part of it. Do you look for people with a strong social media platform like Facebook and Twitter, Instagram accounts now? Right, so the strongest candidates will come to me and they'll already be able to explain, oh, I have X number of Facebook followers. I'm on Instagram. Here's my followership there. This is my social media. If they don't include that information, we definitely look at it. Okay, so we'll try and see how, you know, the author's name and the publisher, you know, what kind of social media they have out there. If we can't find anything, that's not a good sign. It's not necessarily a weak social media is going to doom your chances of getting a distributor. But I would say that, you know, if you're working on a book, you should also be working on your social media at the same time because it does take time to gain followers and gain a presence in social media. So you need to plan ahead on that sort of thing. Yeah. Become an expert. Do you have any kind of rules of thumb? You said that when you're evaluating a book, of course, you have to feel like in the end it's going to pay off. Are there any numbers that you could throw out? Like we have to feel we can sell at least a thousand copies in 18 months in order to take it on? Or are there any metrics that you use or is it largely based on a lot of solid experience? Right. So we'll get our sales team together and I'll talk to the social media person here and the marketing person and the sales person and we'll collaborate. 
collaborate. You know, sometimes a prospective client comes in and everyone knows right away, and other times it takes a little bit of research. But in terms of a benchmark number of how much I have to sell, for me, it's quite low if it fits in with the rest of our program. And it's higher if it moves outside of that. So if you come to me with a book that we're in a category like self-help, for example, which is really driven, sales are driven strongly by social media or the presence of the author in the marketplace and you don't have it, I I really have to feel like I have to sell tens of thousands of dollars where if I think I could sell 2,000 copies, I might bring it on if it's a good quality product that shows well and complements the other lines that we're distributing. It varies is the answer and I think it varies by distributor as well. If it's a good fit and we think we can sell 2,000, it might be enough for us. If it's maybe not as good a fit, maybe 10,000 or, you know, multiple titles and that sort of thing. Well, in the world of publishing today, I mean, uh, you know, if you're an author publisher and you sell 2,000 copies of a book, that's pretty good, I would think. You are kind of looking for the strongest titles as they come in. So let's assume then that somebody has uh, won the lottery and you've offered them a, a deal and they've, you know, you've made all the arrangements. Can the author then just sit back and say hey, I got a distributor, my work is done, or I assume that's not the case. What sort of things they have to keep on doing? That's right. So the distributor takes some time to sell your product because they have to visit a lot of customers, and you should be utilizing that time after you sign your distributor and working on your marketing plan, ideas for author's appearances, creating content that you can then use for blogs, um, internet website posts, articles you can send to magazines. You should have all of this ready by the time your publication date comes on. And for some types of media, as early as 90 days prior, like uh, print magazines, you want to have that 90 days prior to the release. You'll also want to do trade marketing prior to the release. So you'll be working on those sorts of things while your distributor's out selling your book. And when your book launches, the publicity to the reader starts where you got to reach whatever your target audience is. Cancer sufferers, if you did a book on cancer, or mommies, if you did a book on parenting, that sort of thing. So that's all got to be ready. And once your book releases, then you have to go out there and promote it to that audience. At the same time, one of the mistakes I see with smaller publishers is they stop communicating with the distributor. And and I think that that's a big mistake. You want to get to know the personnel at your distribution company, develop a relationship with them. So as opportunities and problems come up, you know who to contact, you know who to work with, you know how long it's going to take to solve the problem or take care of the opportunity. So develop a strong relationship with your distributor and continue to promote the book out to your reader base. Keep people in the loop. If there's a delay, if there's uh, like a big publicity mention or a review or something, you want to put that in the hands of the distributor so that they can use and they can leverage that material to get, to get more sales for you. And I guess that's kind of ongoing too, especially for strong titles that have good backlist potential. They can just go on for years and years, right? And some of the authors remain active. Yeah, there are some titles that you produce and you can expect anywhere from a three to an 18-month product life cycle, and that's pretty much it. You know, these are like timely sort of books. So the window is smaller, but if you're producing books that could backlist or have a long tail and can sell for years and maybe have updates to them, it never stops. You know, as long as the product remains timely and viable, you can't quit. You have to continue to market it. I mean, you continue to offer services beyond just selling the book, right? You are uh, also help out with eBooks. And if a book uh, has slowed down, but is not 
dead, so to speak. It can shift over to what's called print-on-demand, so that print small quantities at a time rather than investing in a huge inventory. And you provide those services as well. That's right. Most distributors will provide that service for you. So yes, definitely some books might still have a life but can't sustain their own print runs, and it just makes sense to do it as a POD version. So some of our publishers will manage that on their own, and others... Surprisingly, the larger ones want us to do it because they just don't want to be in the business of it, right? So they're the content and package product creators. So they hand over all aspects of it. We basically get the printer's file and we do the conversion and we do the distribution and the metadata and all that. And that work is really helpful because there's a lot of technical stuff under the hood that you know most people just can't work with. So it's great to have a partner who can manage that stuff like you. Your customers are the trade, like bookstores, online accounts, etc. When authors are thinking about their book, they're thinking of readers. So you're kind of like getting the book to the people who get the book to the readers. But in the same way that a, a potential reader has to be sold on the potential entertainment or information value of a book that they're considering buying, you need to be able to convince the uh, the retailer that among all the hundreds of thousands of books out there that they ought to stock this one. And you run into the same kind of resistance, I suppose, that someone has in the bookstore. Should I buy it or not? How do you think that has changed over the years? Do you find it more difficult to get books into brick-and-mortar bookshops? And we'll talk about Amazon in a second, but I'm curious about the retail bookselling environment as you see it. Is it a big challenge for you? Well, you know, in some ways it's easier because communication is much faster than it ever has been. Um, We can bring greater resources to the presentation sooner than ever before. So there, there are a lot of reasons why it's simpler today than it was in the past. But when you have in the bookstore market, it's changed quite a bit. For example, Library criteria hasn't changed quite as much, but in the book market, you have a lot of book retailers that sell other products now, and that reduces the amount of shelf space available. You also have many of the independents tend to have curated lists. So if your product fits into their personality that they try to bring to their store, you're fine. If it doesn't, there's no way. You know, So like you're not going to get a fitness book in a mystery bookshop. Right, and there are just more of those curated and specialty bookshops that you know if you can reach them, you can do well, but you have to dig a little deeper. There's fewer general bookshops in the independent market than there used to be. Yeah, and a lot of the um, a lot of bookstores have uh, reduced their floor space, I assume, uh, to save on rent and management. So there's just less and less room, which of course uh, has opened up the market for a place like Amazon, which has infinite real estate, it seems. They can take anything and they do. What's it like for you as a distributor working with Amazon? Do you have a chance to sell into Amazon in the way that you would sell into a bookstore develop a personal relationship and get them to uh, understand the concept of the book, or is it pretty much cut and dry, they order and you ship? Well, I think the, the main thing that a publisher can do to distinguish 
publish themselves in Amazon is more directed towards how they reach out to the reader through Amazon. So the type of copy that they use in their sales pitch, the first three sentences particularly, the cover, you know, you have to design the cover that looks good on, you know, a couple inches on their computer screen. And thinking through those things can probably do more for you on Amazon than anything that you do through Amazon. But also developing a good author page is something that you could do. And all of your authors should have an author page. This helps increase discovery. Even if you don't want to do an ebook, for example, it may be smart to do it just because now the product has two landing pages instead of one, and they're not very expensive to produce. So there's no reason not to do it. So these types of things, I would say, would be, and it's not just Amazon, but all of the online retailers, you have to think through that process and uh, how is my product discovered on Amazon and how is it viewed on there? And what does my copy say to the reader that's going to give them an impulse to either read on, click the search inside, or just buy the book? I would say that that would be your main focus for all online retailers and really take time to think through that and also change it over time. For example, every weekend we send out an Onyx feed to all of our main partners. The changes go out. So if you get me to change by three o'clock on Friday, by Monday, you have new copy and it can relate to what's happening out in the news world or entertainment world, tying in themes and just trying different strategies that way. Of course, everyone wants to be on Amazon and would, of course, work hard to make their books discoverable and salesworthy there. We sell our books on Amazon, too, through my company, Stonebridge Press. And over the years, Amazon has become more and more expensive a place to sell books without going into any details. They buy books at a higher and higher discount. And they have these chargebacks involving freight, promotion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to the point where it really impacts margins and can't raise the prices so much because then consumers begin to resist. Do you find Amazon is as much of a good as Amazon has been? It also is a really, really challenging place. It's hard to make money without selling a lot of volume on Amazon, and they are very uh, demanding. Okay, well, it's it's always been hard to make money in the book business, no matter, you know, <laughs> right, exactly. from the 80s when I started on to this day. And it isn't just Amazon, but you see it in pretty much every sector of the book business. It's become more expensive to operate. So like I said, oh, you know, if we have a copy change, get it to me by Friday and it's changed by Monday, sounds simple. But actually, there was a lot of like programming and a lot of expense involved in that, you know, just distributing your metadata. Shipping costs have gone up. I just think that the most important thing is that people, when they do their P&L, which is a profit and loss statement, which is something you should do before you even sign the author, right? You include all of these costs in your projections to make sure that before you publish the book, you're really considering all of the costs involved in it. And I think that that's one of the main problems that publishers starting out do. They're not including the cost of their time. There will be surprises, of course, but chargebacks, too, are another issue um, with all of the customers. So, like, we don't follow their 40-page right, routing guide exactly yeah. to the letter. Yeah, they have, like, $500, $1,000 penalties that they impose if you don't put the bill of lading in the right place. The same is true for other customers as well. My rule of thumb, uh, which is discouraging every time I think about it, is that we expect from, a, on average, you know, across all the different channels, figuring everything out, that 
our average uh, revenue from any book is is somewhere between 30 and 35% of the retail price. In other words, if we have a $20 book, I will expect to get maybe $6. And from that, I have to pay the printing, I have to pay the lights, I have to I have to pay everything. And I imagine everyone else is struggling with numbers like that. And we'd like to be able to raise prices, but the market simply uh, is unforgiving. So with margins that low, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the idea that I've heard uh, spoken of is that publishers, especially author publishers, are kind of abandoning the idea of distribution and they're saying, well, uh, forget it. You know, the bookstores are unwelcoming. It costs too much to distribute because I have to pay the middleman all the time. I'm just going to do it myself. And even though I might not sell as much, I get to keep so much more and I'm in so much more control. It just feels better and more friendly to me. Have you noticed that at all? Or I, I suppose people have not stopped knocking on your door. Well, there are whole categories of books where, you know, I'm thinking particularly genre fiction and other categories as well, but also different types of books within categories where forgoing the whole trade book distribution is a good option and doing it yourself, doing it through electronic means and print on demand. So uh, I see a lot of clients' prospects come my way and when I see them saying, like, where's my added value? You know, how am I adding value to this publisher? Sometimes it isn't there. And I simply get back to them and say, I don't think that we're the right distributor for you. And maybe give them a little bit of advice on what they should do, how they should move forward. So I think that, yeah, people are still knocking on my door. We're still picking up new clients. There are certain books that you have that if it's a visually impactful book, it will never speak as well to a customer on the computer screen as it will when they're shopping for it. If you have a book like that, then I really think that you absolutely must consider using a distributor because still the most efficient way to get product out into book retail outlets. It's a huge volume and huge geographical reach. That's right. It's, it's very difficult to do it on your own, but people have. And people have been successful, so I wouldn't discourage someone from doing that, but I think that they should certainly consider the distribution option. And if they can get to a distributor that will actually explain to them what they're going to do and it makes sense to them, then moving forward, it's a good option. But definitely investigate doing it yourself as well for the exact reasons you mentioned. So, uh, Tom, earlier uh, when you were talking, you said that there was, was it IPG something? That, that you can go to to get... IBPA. Oh, oh, this is IBPA, you mean? The Independent Book Publishers Association, online.org. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Sponsors of this broadcast, in fact. So, yes, we know them well, right? Oh, I, th- I thought it was a, a different address. Yeah, so go to the IBPA website and get a list of distributors. And if you want to pitch Cardinal Publishers Group and Tom Doherty, you can find their website at cardinalpub.org. Thank you very much, Tom Doherty, for speaking with us today, giving a lot of people a lot to think about. And I assume listeners are getting busy and getting their marketing plans and getting their great covers together. Thanks again, Tom. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Take care. Thanks again to Tom Doherty for spending a whole lot of time with us on distribution. Obviously, if you got a book, you need to get it out to your readers. And there's a whole world of readers and reading communities beyond Amazon, you know, places like Cardinal, 
like Consortium, Publishers Group West, IPG, National Book Network, Midpoint, and Ingram, Baker & Taylor are just some of the players on the scene. Needless to say, IBPA can help you make the right and smart decision for your book. If you're already a member of IBPA, we appreciate your support. Be sure and let us hear from you. If you'd like to learn more about IBPA or are considering joining, check out the IBPA website at ibpa-online.org. Thanks again for listening to Inside Independent Publishing. Keep your nose in that book. As my boss in Japan used to say, let's have publishing fun. <laughs>